Hello, everyone. I'm Angie kalusak Ebrahimi, Senior Director of Lifestyle Medicine at Blue Shield of California, and your host for this episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. First, I hope everyone is off to a very positive start in 2022. I realize we're still in the first month of the year, but I hope that you're doing what you can to stay healthy and safe. Uh, and for those of you who like to keep New Year's resolutions, I hope you're staying on track. I'm so excited to kick off our first episode of 2022 with my guest, Dr. Dana Udall. Dr. Udall is Chief Clinical Officer at Headspace Health, the world's most accessible and comprehensive digital mental health and well-being platform formed by Headspace and Ginger in late 2021. She oversees coaching, therapy, and psychiatry. In this episode, Dr. Udall will share her insights and perspectives on the current mental health landscape, what we've learned from the pandemic, where we continue to have opportunities to transform mental health services, and how we can all incorporate better mental health hygiene into our daily lives. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Dana Udall. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Angie. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Dana, as Chief Clinical Officer of Headspace Health, you oversee a lot. You oversee coaching, therapy, and psychiatry. But you also have more than two decades of experience providing direct care to individuals and groups in a variety of clinical settings. So as you look back, what has surprised you about how the healthcare industry, and especially as it relates to mental health, has evolved or hasn't evolved over the years? Yes, and it's been a little bit of both. There have been some big changes and some things have really stayed the same. So, you know, when I look back, I think one of the biggest changes is the extent to which mental health is really talked about. When I went into this field, there was so much shame and stigma and having conversations in the workplace or with an employer about one's mental health would have really been frowned upon. It was something that was just really not considered part of the work environment or appropriate. So we've really seen mental health needs move from margin to center. Um, we know that people are asking about mental health much more. People are raising their hands and saying they need treatment much more. So we have become, as a culture, much more comfortable with the topic. We are talking about it in many more settings. So that is sort of amazing. Uh, one of the things that has actually gotten worse, though, is the supply-demand imbalance has actually grown. So we have more and more folks who are coming forward and saying, I need care, I would like to have some sort of treatment, and we don't have the providers at scale to really support care. So it's one of the things we talk a lot about at Headspace Health. So those are some of the things that you know have really changed in a sense. But one of the things that I think is most exciting is that over the past couple of years, telehealth has really changed. So telehealth initially was kind of a, an alternative or one avenue of care. And at least when it comes to mental health, it has become a primary channel where many, many people are seeking telehealth services. And they didn't just do it temporarily during the pandemic, but they've actually remained in care in a way that we haven't seen in other parts of, of medicine. So I think that is one of the more uh, changes that I'm more optimistic about, which is really that people are using telehealth much more than we ever thought that they would. We see great adherence and great outcomes as a result of that usage. I think that's really, really exciting. And, and actually, one of my words for 2022 is optimism. So I'm going to only focus on the things that are going well. I love what you said about moving from margin to center in terms of mental health being um, destigmatized. I think that's so, so important. And, and I, we, too, have seen such an uptick 
in telehealth and virtual care and digital care. And I think that there's just such a huge appetite for it in today's environment. I wanted to ask you, I was really inspired listening to your personal story. You share a story about your experience with anorexia in college. You've shared it on Ginger Chats and articles you've written, other interviews you've done. With the two years into the pandemic and the rise of burnout and stress for so many people, why is it so important for each of us to share our story uh, or express what we might be experiencing with others? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think storytelling has always been important. When we think across cultures, across times, stories are used to inspire, to give people a sense of community, to bring people together. But over the past couple of years, given the uh, circumstances of the pandemic, there has been so much isolation. So people working at home, not having that sort of water cooler conversation, not feeling like there is connected. So it's really important for people to be able to come forward and share their story so that they don't feel as though they're sitting alone or that they are the only one experiencing something. But I think the other part of storytelling that's so important and that I have certainly gotten from telling my own story is that it reinforces my own recovery or my own investment in staying well and really supporting others. So, you know, you see that if you think of Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, people sharing their stories and their experiences, partly for their own benefit, but also because then everybody gets to learn from them and feel like we're all in this together. So I think it's become even more important in the past couple of years. I really think that's so interesting and, and really poignant, the whole idea of storytelling. Uh, I, I think about some of the programs that we offer in our line of work, um, weight loss programs or, or mental health programs, and people don't feel like they can do it unless they hear it from somebody who's like them. So it, it almost um, generates this element of trust. And I think that's really so important, especially in the environment we live in today. And speaking of the environment we live in today, uh, when we think about the workplace, we talked about the water cooler, but we're, we're starting to see more and more people working from home and more and more people evaluating whether or not this is what they want in their lives. So we're experiencing what we're calling the great resignation. And now more than ever, employees are taking inventory. So how should employers be shaping or investly wising in a health and well-being strategy that meets the demands of today's employees, knowing that there really isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. This is another one of those areas where there really has been a sea change. So at Ginger, we did some annual research to really understand employee needs. And what we found is that many more people year after year were raising their hand and saying, I need therapy, I need care. And that for many employees, they were actually making decisions on where to work, largely based on benefits. So benefits, some of the most important being mental health and wellness benefits. Those were at the top of the list. So what that means is that if folks are, are debating between two different offers, they may be making a choice based on the benefits offered, including the mental health and wellness services. So I think that employees have become much more empowered um, and much more selective in terms of what they're looking for. So I think this is an opportunity for employers to say, you know, I want to do well by my employees. I want to keep people engaged and satisfied, and I'm going to offer a great package. And I think that's different. It looks a little bit different, maybe depending on people's companies and where they are. But for many folks, it involves a convenient solution that doesn't require long wait times, that is ideally available 24-7 and in a low stigma format. So a lot of what we do at Headspace Health is providing services through a cell phone so that anybody can get access 
whether they are on their commute, whether they are in their home, in their car, um, in a really private and low friction way. So I think for many folks, that's very important. And then the other piece that really relates to access and employer uh, employee needs is um, cultural competence and making sure that there are a range of services available with a range of different providers. To your point, there is no one size fits all. And I think in the past there was basically you can have this many sessions of therapy or psychiatry, but there weren't more comprehensive models. And we're really seeing the need for that, focusing on prevention, reaching people at different stages in their um, journey so they can really get their needs met. Yeah, and you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation that access to care is something that's a real problem. It's one of the things that we are still struggling with in the mental health landscape. So um, with access continuing to be a challenge, and I would add navigation, right? So how do people actually find the benefits that are available to them? Uh, what do you think needs to be done to close the gap in health care? We want to make sure it's accessible, that it's affordable, and as I said, easy, easier to navigate, and not only for adults, but also for young people who are really experiencing an increased need. So what pearls of wisdom do you have for us in that area? Well, I mentioned uh, cultural competence being a big one, and that's incredibly important. So on the Headspace Health team, for example, um, over 40% of our clinicians identify as BIPOC and over 50% of our coaches do. And that's important because it is difficult sometimes to work up the energy, the courage to seek care. And so if you're not seeing providers who look like you or who have shared life experiences, it may feel as though it's not really the place for you. So we know people may drop off early if they don't have that sense of continuity or overlap with their provider. So that's important. Um, you know, the other thing that happens often is people don't know what they need. So they will come onto a platform and say, what's a coach, what's a therapist, what's a psychiatrist? So if we're not helping with that navigation piece, um, greeting them, giving them an overview of services and really helping them get to where they need, it is overwhelming for folks. So to be, think of picking up the phone and sort of cold, cold calling somebody is a lot to ask. So I think partnerships like what we are doing uh, with Blue Shield of California are so important because we are really connecting the dots, allowing people to get a range of services and doing so in a cost effective way. So cost is incredibly important as well. And we know that for many folks in many different populations, they're not able to access healthcare or mental health care because of the cost that's built in. So these sorts of partnerships where we're really providing that level of navigation, uh, making it really easy, and then also containing costs are a uh, wonderful solution that really allow many people to get care. I love that. And I'm, I'm so excited about our partnership with, with Headspace Health. Um, I'm going to double click on the teen and youth mental health um, and what can be done to better serve that community. Yes, thank you for following up on that. It is near and dear to my heart. I have uh, two teens and uh, we have just recently launched adolescent services with Headspace Health. So that's incredibly exciting. But that uh, teens and uh, children are really experiencing a lot due to the pandemic. There is just research after research being published on the effects for this age group and the services they need are specific. So we can't say, you know, they're going to benefit from the same things as adults. We need to make sure we have providers that are trained and competent in working with these age groups, that we're providing holistic solutions that include families um, and that really speak to teens and children in the language that they can understand. So this is a group that has really been impacted. And even though many kids are now back in school, we're still seeing this long tail in terms of the mental health effects. And 
we know that may continue. And then that may set the stage for needing care as an adult. So it's really about trying to intervene early. There's a lot of research, for example, that says that treatment that starts earlier, ideally at the prevention level, is going to have long-term outcomes that are really positive and potentially keep people from needing those higher levels of care. That's fantastic. And so I'm a parent as well to a teenager and a younger child. And so how can parents who are caring for youth and for teens, I think especially, going through a lot right now, how can we help them with their mental health needs? It's a great question. I think sometimes parents feel like they have to do it alone, right? That they don't have that sort of community level support. And for many folks, they may not be living near immediate family. So they may not have aunts or grandmothers or other people to ask. So I think it's important that parents feel empowered to seek their own support as needed so that they are able to go and talk to somebody to say, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. My child came home and said this, or should I worry about this mental health issue in my child? Is this sort of normal or is this something to seek help? So that's really important. And then providing more psychoeducation to parents is also key because a lot of times parents just feel isolated and alone and they don't really know who to go to or what they should know. So a lot of what we're doing at Headspace Health, for example, is providing that kind of lower level of care, whether it's mindfulness or meditation aimed at parents, for example, or psychoeducation on kind of things to know as the parent of an adolescent. These are ways of really making sure that parents feel equipped and supported so that they're not in there by themselves having to have these really hard discussions and make really tough decisions. Right. I think as parents, we sort of have this complex that we have to be the ones to take care of everything. So uh, I really appreciate the permission to ask for help. I think that's really, really important. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is the beginning of the year. So for, for most of us, we like to think of a fresh start, a clean start. Um, we reflect on our past year and we want to kind of build upon the good habits that we built on last year and then also have some new beginnings. So what are some ways we can all take care of our mental health and incorporate better mental health hygiene into our lives? Well, I think this is such an interesting time of year because people often feel compelled to create these really lofty goals. Like I'm going to run a marathon after training for a month, you know, things that are not that realistic. And so I think for most of us, the trick is to identify small, reasonable goals that we can work to over time. And so maybe that's getting out and getting more physical exercise. Uh, it could be, you know, taking walks three times a week or joining a running group and trying to be in there a few times a week but creating a um, sort of system that surrounds us that will support us in those goals. So it's really hard if I'm saying, you know, I'm gonna go to the gym this many times a week, but I don't have a gym buddy, or I don't have a partner or a friend who's helping me stay accountable, helping me stay on track. So I think whatever the efforts are, whether that's getting more sleep, exercising more, drinking more water, it's helpful to have a buddy. And a lot of what our coaches do at Headspace Health is provide that level of accountability and kind of checking in. But if people don't have access to that, then I think just having a friend or support person that can really be there um, so that again, you're not sort of alone and having to make these steps even when you lose motivation because we all lose motivation. So keeping the goal small and uh, having realistic expectations is really important. And do you think that the pandemic has helped us sort of tap into the the virtual options that we have for support to get through some of these goals. I know for myself, I'm more reliant on FaceTime and Zoom uh, to connect with my loved ones. And that helps me 
in reaching my goals. So do you think the pandemic is something that had a silver lining for all of us? I think we were forced to be flexible, right? All those ways of kind of connecting in the past that involved seeing people in person, we had to say, what are our other options? And I think for other, for some people, it felt like, you know, this is not quite as good as in person when it comes to socializing or, you know, uh, having a coffee with a friend over Zoom. But these are still important uh, techniques and opportunities for us to practice connecting through Zoom, doing things in a different way. So I do think there were some silver linings in terms of people having to be creative um, and coming up with more nuanced ways of, of coping with things and dealing with anxiety because we didn't have all those options available to us, at least early on in the pandemic. I totally agree. I think we have to look for the silver linings where we can, and, and that certainly is one. Well, where do we continue to have opportunities to transform health and mental health services to help those in need? And what challenges do we need to overcome to get there? In 50% of U.S. counties, there are no mental health providers. So there are still huge portions of the country, huge groups of our population that don't have access to care. So telehealth is going to continue to play a really crucial role when it comes to expanding access. I've mentioned prevention a couple of times, but that is so important because there are groups for whom there is still stigma. So you can imagine that some folks would just not feel comfortable going into a waiting room where they might see friends or they might see neighbors. So telehealth that they can do from the privacy of their home is gonna be really important. Cost containment is also important. I mentioned this earlier, but at Headspace Health, we had our first Medicaid contract um, with Amera Health Caritas uh, from the DC area about a year ago. And so that is an opportunity for all enrollees in that program to really have access. So I think continuing to provide the opportunities for folks to get access to care a lot of people are really um, open to doing things like mindfulness and meditation, even if they're more hesitant to talk to a person. So the idea that they could go on to Headspace Health and start experimenting and learning skills on their own can be tremendously empowering. And for some folks that might be more culturally congruent than talking to a mental health professional from the beginning. So that's another way of really engaging people and making sure that for younger folks and for folks who may not see themselves as sort of the sweet spot in terms of uh, willingness to get therapy, really making sure that we're being very inclusive and bringing people in so that we can head off some of these mental health issues down the road. In your final thoughts, what's one thought or ask that you have for everyone who's listening to this podcast right now? My one final thought would be for, uh, I guess, encouraging folks to be gentle with themselves. I think that it is really easy to kind of beat ourselves up, whether that's for, you know, not getting enough exercise, not reaching our goals, not being the sort of perfect version of ourselves. There's a lot of literature about social media. And I think often about younger girls, for example, and what it's like to see images and then to feel like I'm supposed to look like that. But I think one of the most healthy things we can do for ourselves and for our communities is to be really gentle with ourselves and practice self-compassion. So there's a lot of ways that mindfulness and meditation can really teach us to do that. But I think that's something that's very important as we um, you know, try to sort of become better versions of ourselves, but also doing it in a really realistic and compassionate way. Wow, that's so powerful. And when you think about being a mom and working and also trying to stay healthy, and, and we, we a lot of times push ourselves really, really hard. And so thank you for, for that. I will take that to heart. One last question. What's one thing you do to stay healthy? Uh, you know, I try to run with another group of moms uh, on a regular basis, and we may only get out there two or three times a week, but it is so valuable for me because we get to talk about school and how we're doing. We get fresh air and exercise. 
Uh, so it's just an amazing practice. And we always text and kind of hold each other accountable if we're not able to be there. But for me, having that social support built in around exercise feels like it's just a great way to start my day and really meaningful to me to stay connected to these women that are really important to me. This conversation was so valuable, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us today. And to our audience, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you walked away with a better understanding of how storytelling can enrich and support our lives and how the programs offered by Headspace Health can help solve uh, for access and navigation in the world of mental health. To learn more about Headspace Health, visit headspace.com or check out ginger.com. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. We'd love to hear your feedback, share your comments, and let us know your thoughts by writing a review on our website at doseofdialogue.com. You can also join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue.